The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Can you hear me? Is that okay? So, uh, good evening. Thank you for being here. Um, Tonight, uh, I am going to talk about a particular sutta that is listed in this book, The Buddha Before Buddhism, which is a, a compilation of eight poems. And this translation was by Gil Fronstall. These eight poems were some of the original, the, the oldest writings of Buddhist teachings. And the one that I want to talk about is the Jara Sutta, Jara means decay and old age. This is called the Discourse on Old Age. So I'm going to tell you at the beginning that I'm not going to talk about death, and I'm actually not going to talk so much about old age. And what I would invite you to do is pay attention to the words, and as we describe some of of the ideas that come up tonight, that you look with a perspective that this is a metaphor for everything. When we talk about self and mind, know that we're not referring just to age, but we're even talking about that first cup of coffee you had this morning. So I'm going to read this to you, and then I'm going to tell you why it's important to me. Okay, so Jara Sutta. The Discourse on Old Age Short indeed is this life. You will die in less than a hundred years. And if living longer, you'll die of old age. People grieve what they take as mine. No possession exists forever. Having seen how it is without possessions... Don't live the domestic life. With death, people lose what they conceive as mine. Knowing this, a sage should not be selfishly devoted to what is mine. Just as when waking up, one does not see someone encountered in a dream, so does one not see loved ones when they are dead, when their time is done. When seen and heard... People are called by their names. When dead, only the telling of their names remains. Grief, despair, and selfishness are not abandoned by those greedy for what is mine. Therefore, having abandoned grasping, sages live seeing safety. A mendicant living unattached and keeping to a solitary seat is said to be in harmony when not showing oneself in a dwelling. Independent everywhere, sages make nothing cherished or not cherished. Despair and selfishness don't stick to them. As water doesn't stick to a leaf, as a drop doesn't stick to a leaf or water to a lotus petal, So what is seen, heard, or thought doesn't stick to a sage. By being without passion and dispassion, those who are cleansed don't ruminate about what is seen, heard, or thought out, nor do they wish for purity through anything else. Okay. All right. So there's a lot of not sticking to, and how short life is, and that things don't exist forever. So the reason this is up for me is that I have downsized three times in the last year, and possessions are very much on my mind. So when in the, in the sutta it says give up the domestic life. Don't live the domestic life. 
it's really referring to possessions. And one of the most primary possession is me. Me. And all of my possessions, it turns out, are about me. So I've had a lot of uh, experience lately with the whole notion of possessions. And I recall in my early 20s, I had a very small car. And I put everything I had in the back of that car. And I do mean small car. It was a little sports car. And I determined I would never have more stuff than would fit in that car. Um, I don't know who that person was, but she got lost a long time ago. And I am totally overwhelmed with possessions. And equally overwhelmed with ridding myself of possessions. Letting go of all of those possessions. So a couple of weeks, a couple of days ago, I gave away uh, a wool rug. It was a very lovely rug. Uh, I've had it for decades. It was a wool rug in a Persian style. It was, it was woven in Belgium. It was very pleasing. I loved this. I loved this carpet. This carpet has followed me through many stages of my life. Always a pleasant thing. It was not worn out. The, the fringe on the edges had gotten a little gone. <laughs> but the carpet itself was still very nice. When I got this carpet, it was the most expensive thing I'd ever bought, with the exception of that car. It represented a big thing for me, this piece of beauty that I had in my house. And getting rid of it reminded me of a lot of associations with that carpet. All of them having to do with who I am. Well, I was this person, and I was that person, and I am this person. It had a lot of memories associated with it. Memories that had to do with how I arrived in this space at this time. But it's really very backward-looking, that carpet. Very backward-looking. So why did I get rid of it? Well, it turns out I don't need it. (laughs) As it turns out, my whole adult life, I lived in places that had hardwood floors. And now I live in an apartment that has wall-to-wall carpeting. I just don't need this rug. And it was with some shock. I had it rolled up and it was sitting on the patio and I kept thinking of where I was going to put it. And I realized I, I didn't have any place for it. There are lots of things in our lives that we no longer have places for, that we cling to, because they have meaning for us some kind of reinforcement of who I am or how I want to be or how I want to be seen. And my reaction to letting it go was very interesting. There was, there was some stickiness, you know. I didn't really want to let it go. I didn't need it. I actually didn't want it. But I didn't really want to let it go. Interesting. Oh, that, that, that holding on to it, it felt, it, it literally felt sticky, and I thought, how strange. I also experienced relief. Relief that I was no longer the person who had to own that rug. <laughs> that came a little bit after the stickiness part, but I did notice that also. Relief. <sighs> I don't have to be responsible for that rug anymore. I don't have to be the person who bought that rug, who carried that rug around, who imbued it with so much meaning. And there was a little bit of value-based regret, you know, oh, I hope somebody wants this. This is, this is really a nice carpet. And, you know, I, I, I can't just throw it in the dump. I've got to give it to somebody that I hope somebody can use it. 
all of that is also tangled up with how I see myself, that I don't that I have some echo consciousness, that I don't want to get rid of things that have value. Where does the value lie? Not for me anymore. Not for me anymore. And it caused me to think a lot about how possessions, all of our possessions, have so much to do with who we are and how we see ourselves. I have... I have two little um, watercolors that I bought in my early 20s. And they're fairly abstract. They're just gorgeous. I still love them. And what I've noticed is that most of the things in our house now are very representational. And what happened to that abstract art person? (laughs) My little $10 abstract arts. And I realized that I had in my head this idea about what art I appreciated, which totally ignored the fact that I have acquired other kinds of things. (laughs) Hello? I didn't acquire them because I didn't like them. But tied up is this idea about who I am. When you move, you find a lot of accumulated possessions, things that you you keep, like the guitar that I was always going to learn to play. I've had that guitar since 1973. I have occasionally played it. There are lots of things I've collected in my life. Photos, artwork. I have this bracelet I wear every day. It's not an expensive bracelet. It was given to me by someone long ago. And it now is... is it, hasn't, it doesn't have much an intrinsic value. It's, it's just a bracelet. But I wear it every day. It's become part of me. It's part of the ritual I have in the morning when I put it on. And if I forget, or I've misplaced it for some reason, and I find myself walking around, my arm doesn't have the right weight. I have to go find that bracelet. It's become so much a part of my life. So I ask myself, can I get rid of it? Can I give it away? Now, this isn't about how we should all give away everything we have. It's about noticing what we're attached to. It's about noticing that we don't allow things to decay. When I was on my last retreat... I was walking along and I noticed that my shoes were squeaking. I couldn't understand why my shoes were suddenly squeaking. I finally went back and I was taking them off and I realized they had fallen apart. I mean, quite literally, the plastic in the bottom of the clog had disintegrated and they, were, they had literally fallen apart. But because they were my retreat shoes, I had totally paid no attention to the fact that they were decaying. They were no longer, I mean, they looked good. It's just the material couldn't hold up anymore. Material things do not persist. Material things go away. I have a friend. So, so one of the phrases in here was... Uh, Uh, don't be selfishly devoted to what is mine. Don't be selfishly devoted to what is mine. So I have a friend the other day who was talking about the fact that he just had some minor surgery. And he's a very creative songwriter kind of guy, works with his hands, very energetic. And he had this moment as he was sitting in the car and he was feeling his belly where the the wound was, and there was a shadow that passed over. And he suddenly realized that what characterized his life, this effervescent, was becoming flat. That there was a moment that things were flat. And it was terrifying to him. He was thinking, this is what it's, is this what growing old is? Everything goes flat. 
his discourse on age was the carbonation is going out of life and everything is going to be flat. And what or who am I without this carbonation? So we talked about this and I said, you know, the obverse of this effervescence, not the opposite, the obverse of this might not be flat, it might be stillness. How do you feel about stillness? About achieving some stillness as opposed to calling it flat? Well, that's different. But the idea that who I am is this carbonated personality translates the loss of this carbonation into something else, into something undesirable, unpleasant, don't want, push away, not what I want, oh, this is very sad. And a story is created that has nothing to do with how things are. One of the effects of, well, carbonation is basically carbon dioxide dissolved in the fluid, right? And, and the nature of that is that the bubbles go away and eventually the solution becomes flat. Now, that solution can still nourish. The carbonation has very little to do with anything that is sub, uh, intrinsic to water. Stillness is not death. It's just stillness. The ability to see it as just stillness is something we want to cultivate. It's something that allows us to encounter the loss of carbonation and have it just roll off. Just roll off. Might we be afraid of who we are if we're not who we think we are? Are we afraid of who we might be if we're not who we think we are? So the message here is not that you should be a certain way. It's only to notice what it is that hooks you. What it is that says, mine, mine, this is mine. And how sticky is it? What is the meaning that you've assigned to it? One of the examples of this has to do with, um, if, you've, if you hang around couples who've been around for a while, there will inevitably be a story, and the two people tell the story slightly differently, and each of them will correct the other, right? Oh, no, no, he wasn't wearing a yellow shirt, he was wearing a blue shirt when in fact the color of the shirt is not important to the story. But my story is he was wearing a yellow shirt. Your story about the blue shirt is just not true. I remember the yellow because the brightness had some meaning for me. And then we're off. We're, we're, we're arguing about something that's pretty much irrelevant. But it's my story. It's my story. Oh, and that's the worst part. If it's my story and not your story, you know, one of my favorites is my husband will tell a story about me and it's not my version of the my story. And what I've learned is, you know what? It doesn't really matter. <laughs> it actually doesn't matter whose version of a story, because the story is usually about something that doesn't depend on the details of the story. It isn't life or death. But there's a, a certain way that we want to tell the story. We want it to be right, you know? I'm right. I'm right. 
and how we cling to that sense of being right. And we notice there's a... (laughs) You're sort of leaning into the moment. You feel that. You feel your body wanting to be right. (laughs) And how important is it? When you practice letting go of the story, when you practice not correcting the other person... (laughs) It's quite remarkable. And what I notice when I do this is I'll notice how much I want, to, I want to fix this. I want to fix this. And then I ask myself, exactly what are you trying to fix? Ah. Okay. This is a different story. It's a different story. And it rolls off, and it doesn't, become, it doesn't become something that I despair about. I can be free of that. I don't have to hold on to it. I don't have to have it be my story. If we have a sense that life is only right when it's a certain way, we're setting ourselves up for a lot of unhappiness. There are all kinds of ways that life can be right. (laughs) And what does that mean anyway? It just is. What are you passionate about? Is there something in your life you're really passionate about, that you really believe in, or you really want to hold on to, or really engage in? What's the nature of that passion? What's your relationship to that passion? Does it make you feel alive? Is that why you're passionate about it? I have a friend who uh, weaves decorative baskets. She took this up a few years ago. She took a basket weaving class. I mean, people really do this. And she makes these gorgeous baskets. They are just stunningly beautiful. And she starts out with the materials and she, she lays them out, she you know, dyes the needles and starts her, she has a plan, and then it happens. And she says, oh, that didn't turn out the way I expected it. Oh, I didn't know that was what was going to happen. Oh, and she, the way she describes this is in a very meditative way. Just, this is what's happening now. Oh, this is what's happening the art of just being present for what's happening without the need to direct it a certain way to make it right. So some of her baskets are not as wonderful as others. (laughs) But all of them she loves. And she loves them because she loves seeing what happens. This This is what true mindfulness is about. What's happening not do, is my breath doing the right thing, but what's happening? What's, what's this moment about? So grief, despair, selfishness. In this case, selfishness is not uh, meanness, but self-regard, the, where, where the focus is on me, myself. If the goal, here we are, grief, despair, and selfishness are not abandoned by those greedy for what is mine. Therefore, having abandoned grasping, sages live seeing safety. That's interesting. That's interesting. What makes you feel safe? What makes you feel safe? Just seeing it as it is and not feeling like you have to fix it or make it a certain way is very, very freeing. Very freeing. Sometimes we see our health uh, in a way where we think that we have responsibility and control over what happens to our bodies. I take pretty good care of my body. I eat right. I exercise. 
How could this horrible thing happen to me? What do you mean? What do you mean I have a blockage in my heart? And I need open heart surgery. What? This can't be true. As if we have total control over what happens in our bodies. It's because we're not paying attention to the inherent nature that all material things decay. You don't get to stop that. All material things decay. My iPad. It's working. Hmm? This, this is a, a constant companion for me. I rely on it. It's failing. How could it possibly be failing? The battery won't hold a charge. What do you do with a tablet where the battery doesn't hold a charge? It just is outrageous. And I find myself saying, this isn't supposed to happen. But it is. <laughs> that's, that's what's happening. So I can get upset about it. I can wring my hands. I can, I can try to blame somebody for this. I can blame myself. Maybe I haven't been doing the right thing with it. But the truth is, it's decaying. That's the nature of all material things. That's the nature of me. I can sit up here. You wouldn't know that my, my knee is a traitor. <laughs> this knee is a traitor. It's been painful for the last month. It is not painful at the moment sitting in exactly this position. But let me go walking quickly down the road and my knee is going to complain. You know what? It's just wearing out. It's just wearing out. That's what happens. We can't make things permanent. But if we can practice letting things be just as they are, we can practice watching them roll off. We can, if we practice it and we get used to the idea, then we can meet a catastrophe and it not be a catastrophe. Uh-oh, that's bad. <laughs> it is the nature of what's happening. We can see our way to safety because we don't require it to be different than it is. It doesn't mean that we're happy with everything that happens. It only says that some things are pleasant and some things are unpleasant, and they're all going to occur. And how we meet them is related to how we deal with possessions and my sense of how I am in the world. My life, my cushion, my chair. If we can see that decline is not a mistake. We've come a long way. And it really is just about seeing it. It isn't about being different than you are, different than I am. I gave away a lot of things in the downsizing I didn't want to get rid of. But I couldn't use them. I couldn't keep them. I didn't have room for them anymore. And then I got to notice what happened when I got rid of them, when I let go of them. And I watched myself try to direct them a certain way. I want that person to have this. That person didn't want this. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so how do we take this sutta into our practice? What, what do we do? How do we do this? How do, how do we achieve this as a drop doesn't stick to a leaf or water to a lotus? So it, what is seen, heard, or thought doesn't stick to a sage. How do we do that? So I'm assuming that like me, you're not about to become a monastic 
and that you live a life and you have possessions and you have family and loved ones and you have whatever brought you here this evening and you have ideas and you have goals and you have passions. So it isn't, you don't have to abandon the effort just because this is true. But you can adopt an intention to notice the way that you experience mine. Notice the way that you experience mine. This is mine. This limp is mine. This lunch is mine. This belief is mine. This memory is mine. This story is mine. This cushion is mine. This place is mine. These possessions are mine. And what you can notice about them is what happens when you see that. Oh, I'm making this mine. And then touch it. Mine. Oh, this is a hard thing, this thing I'm touching. Notice how it defines you. I'm old. I'm young. I'm free. I'm caught. I'm a vegetarian. I'm a wife. My favorite color is blue. See how mine limits you. See the way that when you say, this is me, this is mine, how it narrows away all those other things, like calling carbonation a good thing and the lack of carbonation flat instead of still, instead of restless, restful. Notice that the attitude about what you call mine influences how you see it. Your reaction to it influences how you see it. See how sticky it is. There are some things, you know, this, this book, it, I haven't had it very long. I'm not through with it. I'd like to keep it. I'm really not through with it. But I have something over here. So this, it's, it's, a, it's not terribly tattered. Okay, so here it is. This is a piece of uh, printed calligraphy. And it is a story over here. And over here is the basic message, which is, I know this glass is already broken, so I enjoy it incredibly. So this is a quote from Ajahn Chah. Now, I have kept this in my house for about a decade. And I can tell you that when glasses are broken in my house, I hardly notice it anymore. I mean, truly, just, oh, broken glass. Because I've used this as a practice. Every time I broke a glass, I would think about it. Oh, this glass was already broken. And now I can tell you all my glasses are already broken. They are truly already broken. I don't feel that way about everything, but it turns out I no longer need this because that has become a habit for me. So I'm leaving this here. If, if anybody else thinks that it might be useful for them, please take it home because I don't need it anymore. I don't need it anymore. Practice giving things away and practice seeing not needing for the story to be right. Find out what in your life really doesn't fit anymore, but you keep it around. For some reason, you keep it around because that's who you are. But you know what? I bet you have a lot of things that don't really fit you anymore. Clothes, that's easy. But there, there are things in your life that just don't fit anymore. Mm-hmm. 
I've been retired for a while. And uh, I still, I'm sitting around with people and they're talking about work and they're talking about their, um, their ambitions or they're talking about some problem they're trying to solve. solve. And I find myself... My energy's getting up and I'm getting ready to go solve a problem. And I say, wait, wait, wait. I don't need to go there. This isn't about me. But that old habit comes up and the energy starts rising and I'm going to go off and, oh, I should be doing something here. I should be doing something. And I recognize that habit. I should be doing something And say, oh, you know what? That doesn't fit anymore. I don't really want to go become current on that topic again. (laughs) I don't really need to do that anymore. Oh, what a surprise. Because it's still there, that habit, that mind habit, that, that holding on to something, the way to be. I have managed to get rid of all my old suits. (laughs) I will clearly never use those again. What do, you, what do you have hanging around you that you think is part of you that no longer fits? Ask if it's still needed. See what it feels like to say, hmm, maybe I don't need that anymore. The more often you can lay it down, the more likely you are to be able to, in a moment, an unexpected, unplanned moment, when something arises that is a surprise to you, that you can say, oh, a surprise, and not, oh, no. Because you're in the habit of saying, oh, that's what's happening now. Oh, that's what's happening now. Independent everywhere. Sages make nothing cherished or not cherished. Despair and selfishness doesn't stick to them as water doesn't stick to a leaf. If I don't have to carry it around, why not let it go? (laughs) Why not let it go? So, one final thought. This is a poem by Steve Cowett called Notice. This evening, the sturdy Levi's I wore every day for over a year and which seemed to the end in perfect condition suddenly tore. How or why, I don't know, but there it was, a big rip at the crotch. A month ago, my friend Nick walked off a racquetball court, showered, got into his street clothes, and halfway home, collapsed and died. Take heed, you who read this, and drop to your knees now and again like the poet Christopher Smart and kiss the earth and be joyful and make much of your time and be kindly to everyone, even to those who do not deserve it. For although you may not believe it will happen, you too will one day be gone. I, whose Levi's ripped at the crotch for no reason, assure you that such is the case. Pass it on. Pass it on. Thank you. So... Does anybody have any observations, remarks, considerations? Yes. Can you speak to the microphone? I guess... um 
lot of stuff was uh, coming up during the talk. For me, I feel like I've had sort of an aversion to this sort of teaching because it seems a little cold or just let it go. But um, I guess if you if you have mindfulness, you can see the emotions that come up. Like, I guess it's sort of like a process. Like, I'm sure the first time the glass broke, there was probably more of an emotion than subsequent times and sort of wisdom took over after a while. But it's hard because it's like, you know, to be with that emotion while it's there, but not overemphasize the emotion, um, but not let it control you at the same time. Um, cause I had this like boss who would always, she wasn't really good at validating people, but she would always say to validate and, you know, like as a concept. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I guess I always sort of had that like validate every, but sometimes like the wisdom that you have on one of your layers of consciousness can override that. Um, if it's strong enough, if the conditions are there. Um, but, yeah, because if, if you, I guess, yeah. So, thank you for that. I, I, it's really important that you not take away from this that I think you should give everything up. I don't. But to know, to see clearly what's happening is where freedom lies. It isn't in becoming a certain way. So for example, uh, I've said that I moved, and I, I moved from a beautiful house out by Point Reyes National Seashore, I had an exquisite view out my window when I woke up in the morning. We bordered on the park. It was gorgeous. I loved living there. But the time to leave there came. And we needed to come back into town. Yesterday, I went to see friends out there. And I got about two-thirds of the way there and burst into tears. I had a moment of grief that I was no longer there. But I didn't tell myself the story about how terrible it was that I could no longer be there. I experienced the grief completely, tears running down my face, said, isn't that marvelous that I have tears? And then I moved on because it changed. Because I said, oh, grieving, loss, loss. Oh, gee, just last night I was saying how pleasant it was where I was living. It doesn't mean that I became immune to grief, only that I didn't hold it. I didn't grab it, hold on to it, make it mine, make it about me. Oh, my life has this horrible thing in it. Experience it, live it, have it be as vivid as possible, and move on. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's sort of like what I was wanting to hear, I guess. Yeah. 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 It isn't that you don't ever feel, feel sad, that you, don't feel, that you don't feel passionate. But I notice when I get passionate now. I notice when my voice rises. Oh, listen to her. The energy is really up. I notice when my voice gets very sad and very soft. Oh, this is what's happening. But it doesn't become who I am. I don't make it mine. It's only what's here. Sometimes I'm better at it than other times. And what I notice is that my life is more joyful 
when I don't hold on to everything. And that includes holding on to moments of joy. Okay? Thank you for that. <clears throat> Just talk. Um, my son um, will be moving away to college in about six weeks' time. Mm-hmm. You know, and um, I don't know how to not um, be attached to how life was. Why do you call it attached? Because uh, uh, in some ways you don't want it to change, but it does. I know this feeling of not wanting, of knowing, of reveling in communion now, of being together now, the reveling in being together now. And you're anticipating that that's going to be gone. It's not even gone yet. And this is something to keep in mind that you actually don't know what's going to be true in the future. You know you know that there's going to be some loss. Just as I've known loss, just as we all have known loss, And just like all of us, you only want to be happy. This is not a bad thing. What is perhaps skillful for you is to enjoy every moment of the next six weeks. We all, we all face something similar to this with, with um, when we know someone that we love is dying. And we, we have many choices about how we can be with that time. And sometimes we're overwhelmed with a sense of loss. And sometimes we are grateful for now, and sometimes we find ourselves planning for how to fix it. These are all very human things. I would encourage you to realize that in this way you are not different from any of us, that all of these things are here, and that no one of them is permanent. None of them is permanent. And don't be afraid to be sad. And don't be afraid to be happy. Thank you. You know, I'm reminded and I don't know why this comes up. Um, some, someone uh, asked me, uh, will my practice help me to have a good death? Will it help me not to be afraid of dying? And all I could say to them was, you know, all your practice does 
is condition you to be present. To condition you to be here for this is how it is. And when that happens often enough, you begin to see the great joy and benefit of that. And it is enough. This, this moment right here, right here, your son is not gone. My husband is not dead. I am just here. Just this moment. Wow. Wow. <laughs> and we can feel, we can feel as intensely as we allow ourselves to feel the presence of this moment. It is a matter of allowing ourselves to totally inhabit this moment. If I had a magic wand, I would wish that all of you would be forever happy. And then I would say, oh, but I wouldn't be doing you a favor. Because I would be creating a fantasy. So, as we get ready to leave this evening, I invite you to just notice, just notice, oh, this is how I'm feeling. Oh, oh. Allow yourself to be surprised. Allow yourself to be surprised. To not know who you are. May you be blessed. May you all be blessed with the freedom of this moment. Thank you for the evening. <laughs>